MSW Media. Thanks to Hunter Douglas for supporting the Daily Beans. Hunter Douglas makes innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems that can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day and bring greater convenience, style, and comfort to your home. Go to HunterDouglas.com slash Daily Beans today to get your free Style Gets Smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. You'll be glad you did. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. Today, White House call logs show a seven hour gap in Trump's calls. President Biden will not exert executive privilege for Jared or Ivanka. The New York Times picks up on my ties between the attack on the Capitol and Donald Trump's tweet. Donald says he doesn't know what burner phones are. The Department of Justice says it will not represent Donald in Michael Cohen's lawsuit against him. And the Select Committee votes to hold Scavino and Navarro in contempt. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, everyone. Happy hump day, hump day. Mike, Mike, Mike. It is Wednesday, March 30th, and we have a lot of news to get to today. Just a quick note, I'll be out tomorrow, but there will be a show. I'll be recording the content a little bit early. You've got some really great interviews coming your way along maybe with, you know, some headlines. I don't know. We'll figure it out, but there will be a show tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Just want to let you know if it's a little bit different format, that's what's going on. I got to be in court all day tomorrow. So (laughs) there we go. Now, uh, a little bit later in the show today, we're also going to be joined by former federal prosecutor and host of Justice Matters, Mr. Glenn Kirshner. We're going to go over the news of the week so far and all the justice news that matters. And uh, also we'll have the good news later in the show. And if you have any good news you want to send us, corrections, confessions, photos. I take Halloween photos all year. Whatever you want to send us, play What the Mutt. I love that game. You can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And we'll all get a little palate cleanser at the end of the show. We do have a lot of news to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up, in news that harkens back to the cover up during Watergate when 18 minutes were missing from those famous tapes, internal White House records from the day of the attack on the Capitol, January 6, 2021, those records that were turned over to the House Select Committee from the National Archives, they show a gap in former President Donald Trump's phone logs of seven hours and 37 minutes, including the period when the building was being violently assaulted. And that's according to documents obtained by The Washington Post and CBS News. The lack of an official White House notation of any calls placed to or by Trump for 457 minutes on that day from 1117 a.m. to 654 p.m. means the committee has no record of his phone conversations as his supporters descended on the Capitol. Battle overwhelmed police and forcibly entered the building and uh, prompting lawmakers and Vice President Pence to flee for safety. And that we know now that they took him to that underground loading dock. They took Pence to that parking garage, which was still in the vicinity of the Capitol under the Senate side, which we found out in a court ruling in the Guy Reffitt case. But anyway, uh, I digress. These particular phone records show Trump was active on the phone for part of the day, documenting conversations he had with at least eight people in the morning and 11 people in the evening. The seven-hour gap also stands in stark contrast to the extensive public reporting about phone conversations he had with allies during the attack, such as a call Trump made to Senator Mike Lee seeking to talk to Senator Tommy Tuberville, and a phone conversation he had with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. 
The House panel is now investigating whether Trump communicated that day through back channels, phones of aides or personal disposable phones known as burner phones. That's according to two people with knowledge of the probe who, like other people who were interviewed for this story in the Post, spoke on the condition of anonymity. One lawmaker on the panel said the committee is investigating a possible cover-up of the official White House record from that day. No. Another person close to the committee said the large gap in the records is of intense interest to some lawmakers on the committee, many of whom have reviewed copies of the documents. Both spoke again on the condition of anonymity. According to White House records, Bannon and Trump spoke at 8.37 in the morning on January 6th. Trump spoke with Giuliani around 8.45, just about, uh, what's that, eight minutes later. At 8.56, 11 minutes later, Trump asked the White House switchboard to call Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Then at 9.02, Trump asked the operator to place a call to Pence. The operator informed him that a message was left for the vice president. He didn't answer. Bannon and Trump spoke again late on January 6th in a call that began at 10.19 p.m. and ended at 10.26. And a final listed call came at 11.23 that lasted 18 minutes with John McEntee, the director of presidential personnel. And I find that call especially interesting because, as you know, I was the only sole person to report a while back that Pence's team's badges were deactivated and they couldn't access any of the offices in the Capitol complex, which is why they went down to that loading dock and uh, had 25th Amendment discussions down there with no desks or no place to sit. Now, there hasn't been any corroboration of that reporting. I still I stand by my sources still. However, it McEntee would be the dude, right? Or he could be one of the dudes that, that would be able to activate or deactivate those badges because he's the director of presidential personnel. He's the 23-year-old. He's the guy that was partying all the time where they were icing each other, hiding Smirnoff ices in the in the presidential personnel office. Yeah, real cool dude. So anyway, I this reporting is of intense interest to me. Also in the news, the White House said Tuesday it will not invoke executive privilege over the testimony of Kushner and Ivanka as uh, former President Trump's son-in-law is expected to voluntarily appear before the January 6th Select Committee today. Quote, the president has spoken to the fact that January 6th was one of the darkest days in our country's history and that we must have full accounting of what happened to ensure it never occurs again. That's communications director Kate Bedingfield. Quote, and he's been quite clear that they posed a unique threat to our democracy and that the constitutional protections of executive privilege should not be used to shield from Congress or the public information about an attack on the Constitution itself. So as a result, the White House has declined to assert executive privilege over the testimony of Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. And last night, the committee voted unanimously to hold Scavino and Navarro in criminal contempt. And I'm going to speak in a little bit with Glenn Kirshner about that and sort of the implications and where it might go and how it's different from Meadows, how it's different from Bannon. And from the Times, federal prosecutors and congressional investigators have gathered growing evidence of how a tweet by President Donald Trump less than three weeks before the attack on the Capitol served as a crucial call to action for extremist groups that played a central role in storming the Capitol. Mr. Trump's Twitter post in the early hours of December 19th, 2020, was the first time he publicly urged supporters to come to Washington on the day Congress was scheduled to certify the Electoral College results, showing Biden as the winner of the presidential election. His message, which concluded with, be there, will be wild, uh, has long been seen as instrumental in drawing the crowds that attended the pro-Trump rally on the ellipse January 6th and then marched to the Capitol. But the Justice Department's criminal investigation of the riot and the parallel inquiry by the House Select Committee have increasingly shown how Mr. Trump's post was a powerful catalyst, particularly for far-right militants who believe he was 
facing his final chance to reverse defeat and whose role in fomenting the violence has come under intense scrutiny. Prosecutors have included examples of in at least five criminal cases of extremists reacting within days, sometimes hours, to Trump's tweet. Within a day of Trump's post, Guy Revit was talking about it on a private group chat with other members of the far-right militia organization, the Texas Three Percenters. Quote, our president will need us, all of us, on January 6th. We, the people, owe him a debt. He sacrificed for us. We must pay that debt. The House committee has also sharpened its focus on how the tweet set off a chain reaction that galvanized Trump's supporters to begin a military-style planning for January 6th. As part of a congressional inquiry, the January 6th committee is trying to establish whether there was any coordination beyond the post that ties Trump's inner circle to the militants and whether the groups plotted together. They did. Quote, that tweet could be viewed as a call to action. That's Pete Aguilar, representative on the 1-6 committee. The prominent white nationalist Nick Fuentes wrote on Twitter that he planned to join Trump in Washington on January 6th. By that afternoon, his post had been mentioned or amplified by other right-wing figures like Ali Alexander, who is a high-profile Stop the Steal organizer. Quote, Trump says it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. Kelly Meggs, a Florida leader of the Oath Keepers, wrote on Facebook on December 22nd, three days later, he wants us to make it wild. That's what he's saying. He's called us all to the Capitol and he wants us to make it wild. Sir, yes, sir. Gentlemen, we're heading to D.C. That same day, Mr. Rhodes did an interview with one of his lieutenants and declared that there would be a massively bloody revolution if Biden took office. On December 23rd, Rhodes posted another letter saying that tens of thousands of Patriot Americans would be in D.C. on the 6th and that many would have their mission-critical gear stowed outside the city. Those are those quick reaction forces. On the same day it was posted, Joe Biggs, who is a Proud Boy leader from Florida, sent a private message to the group's chairman, Enrique Tario, suggesting they had to start recruiting better members, quote, not losers who want to drink. Let's get radical and get real men, Biggs told Tario. And of course, as we know, the next day, Tario established a crew of hand-selected members for rallies that was known internally as the Ministry of Self-Defense, or MOSD. That's according to that indictment released this past month. An MOSD turned its attention to January 6th, and court papers say Mr. Tario set up an encrypted telegram chat for the group. I'm glad the Times is catching on with what what I caught three weeks ago. (laughs) And I'm going to talk to Glenn about that, too. And my friend and lawyer for Michael Cohen, Andy Laufer, says on Twitter that he has been informed that the Department of Justice will not represent Donald Trump in the lawsuit filed against him by Laufer's client. And I wonder why they won't rep him against Cohen, but said they would rep him against E. Jean Carroll. Hopefully the Second Circuit will overturn that decision. All right, I'll be back in a second with Glenn Kirshner to discuss the latest justice news. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Today's show is presented by Hunter Douglas. They manufacture beautifully crafted window treatments, beautiful fabrics, automatic control systems. And these automatic control systems are so advanced, they automatically adjust to their ideal positions throughout the day for you so you don't have to worry about it. Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, like I said, it will automatically adjust your shades and it, it, to provide the ideal balance of light, privacy, and insulation. So in addition to diffusing harsh sunlight and leaving a pleasant glow across your house, Hunter Douglas shades protect your privacy. You can see out, but people can't see in. And they help save you money by keeping you warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer. Takes a little bit of strain off of our power grid, helps save the planet a bit. And the result is a home that's more functional, stylish, comfortable, and sustainable. And what I like best about PowerView is how it automatically adjusts so you don't have to think about it. And it gives you that right balance of light, privacy, and insulation no matter what time of day it is. You should take a look at Hunter Douglas 
After I remodeled, I did, and I absolutely love it. Just go to hunterdouglas.com slash dailybeans today to get your free Style Gets Smarter Design Guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. That's hunterdouglas.com slash dailybeans for your free design guide. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Today, I'm joined by former federal prosecutor and host of Justice Matters, Mr. Glenn Kirshner. Hello, Glenn. Hey, AG, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So uh, the reason I've gotten us together today is that it's been about a year since Merrick Garland was sworn in, and you and I have been relatively patient with the ground-up, pyramid-style, mob, hub-and-spoke conspiracy investigation being conducted by the Department of Justice. We've seen evidence that Sidney Powell, Rudy, Flynn, and Wood are under investigation, along with reports that many of the -the boots-on-the-ground insurrectionists have been asked about the involvement of Donald Trump and other members of Congress in the attack on the Capitol. And we've heard both Garland and Lisa Monaco say they intend to hold accountable everyone involved at all levels, despite political backlash. And now they've added 131 lawyers to the 1-6 probe. But it's been about 110 days or so since Meadows was referred for contempt of Congress. And we now agree it's also time to start perhaps a countdown clock on indictments for the generals that orchestrated the coup. Yeah, I think it's time to start the uh, the Donald Trump indictment watch clock. And I think we're both kind of spurred on by what we just heard from a federal judge in California who was litigating the privileges that John Eastman claimed his emails enjoyed, his seditious emails. And the judge not only ruled, no, you're wrong and you lose John Eastman, but really a blockbuster finding by Judge David Carter. He said that he finds by a preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, that Donald Trump committed felony crimes, including obstructing an official proceeding, the certification of Joe Biden's win. And he was in a conspiracy, more likely than not, proof by a preponderance of the evidence, a conspiracy with John Eastman to defraud and commit offenses against the United States in connection with his efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. And A.G., the reason that's so important is because that is a higher evidentiary finding, preponderance of the evidence, than is needed to arrest and indict somebody. That is simply probable cause, a lower evidentiary standard. So if that doesn't jumpstart the Department of Justice into action, I don't know what will. Yeah, I mean, neither. And and not only did that, at least especially in Eastman's case, but not only did the judge make that determination that it's beyond a preponderance of the evidence that Trump and Eastman violated crimes, committed crimes, but the judge determined that with publicly available evidence. So while a year has passed and we're still within a reasonable time frame for rounding up the senior most participants in the coup, we're now what I think, and I'm with you, entering indictment countdown territory, uh, both with the amount of time that has passed and with the political cover that was just provided by the courts to allow DOJ to begin indicting the generals if they hadn't already been on that path. And I noticed last night also during the committee hearing to hold Scavino and Navarro in contempt that Liz Cheney brought up two DOJ Office of Legal Counsel memos that both Meadows and Bannon are citing as legal reason not to be held in criminal contempt, and that several people on the committee addressed the Department of Justice saying you need to indict these people because we have to provide oversight and you're undermining our status as an equal branch of government. And you and I had said Meadows might be and probably would be more difficult to indict than Bannon because he actually was an executive branch employee. But that shouldn't matter, should it? Yeah, no, as Liz Cheney pointed out, there are these OLC memos, Office of Legal Counsel within the Department of Justice saying, for example, yeah, you really shouldn't indict a sitting criminal president. What that translates to 
is a president is above the law. These memos also say that executive branch officials like Mark Meadows should be given wide berth on the executive privilege front, even kind of like leaking into absolute immunity, which I will tell you is not a thing. But even Liz Cheney said, you know what? These safeguards are for people who are advising a president on presidential matters, not people who are acting as campaign operatives trying to reinstall a president who just lost the presidential election. I would add they really shouldn't apply to co-conspirators of a sitting president. So for every reason in the world, the OLC memos do not give the Mark Meadows any cover. Mark Meadows ought to be indicted, not only Mark Meadows, for contempt of Congress, which, let's face it, is a relatively low-level charge. But it really is time to get after the Roger Stones and the Steve Bannons, the Rudy Giuliani's, the Sidney Powell's, the John Eastman's, the Jeffrey Clark's, and, you know, the president of the conspiracy, Donald Trump himself. Yeah, I like president of the conspiracy. That's the only title that the word president should be afforded him. Uh, And I also hope the clues that we discovered in the Enrique Tarrio case, which is another spoke in the spoke and hub conspiracy, the ones that appear to tie Donald Trump to the violent attack on the Capitol result in superseding seditious conspiracy charges for the Proud Boys and perhaps even Donald Trump. So many spokes in the hub and spoke conspiracy. You know, we've yet to talk about all of the fake electors. There's a spoke. Right. And, and uh, John Eastman is a spoke. Jeffrey Clark is a spoke. Bannon is a spoke. The Proud Boys are a spoke. The three percenters are a spoke. Um, all of these people. Ginny Thomas may have distinguished herself as a spoke, given that she was a go between. It looks like between the White House urging them, pressuring them to overturn the election um, and saying, by the way, I'm keeping my best friend deprived. And we know that's the term she uses for her husband, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. She may now have been added as a spoke to the hub and spoke conspiracy. But it is time to start the indictment watch countdown. All right. I'm with you. And uh, again, this isn't saying that the Justice Department has been uh, shitty up until this point. I just think it's very important that we start that clock. And because it, it is time, it's getting along in the tooth. And and I wanted to talk to you a little bit more, Glenn, about the Scavino Navarro contempt case, because there's rumors flowing around. And actually, uh, Joyce Vance was just on with Ari Melber, I believe, uh, talking about how it wasn't it might not just be the OLC memos that's complicating Meadows case. It could be that he also already handed over quite a bit of stuff. Uh, and and while the subpoena says hand over everything. And you and I know that he didn't comply with the subpoena fully to the letter. That could actually complicate it. And so that now they're saying perhaps the Scavino and Navarro situations where they completely failed to hand over anything might be a little bit of a kind of throwing a softball to the DOJ to say, hey, here's some executive people who worked in the executive branch that didn't cooperate at all. Are you going to indict these guys? And so I'm wondering what you thought about that. I think they may be easier calls for the Department of Justice to indict them for contempt of Congress because they just thumbed their nose at the committee entirely. And and I do think it will be an important gauge of perhaps where they stand on Meadows if we see the Navarros and the Scavinos indicted, perhaps within, oh, about the three week time frame that it took for DOJ to indict Steve Bannon, for example. I would really like to see that because that'll be an important tell, I think, on, you know, how the Department of Justice is now viewing 
all of these criminal cases. Yeah. And then we were left wondering, was Meadows harder because he was the chief of staff? Or was he harder because he turned over some documents? Was he harder because you're looking into other shit and he failed to hand over stuff under the Presidential Records Act? Like, we won't know exactly the answer, but it, I think it, you're right. It will give us a little bit of a gauge. And it, Glenn, how do you like this? Today, in the New York Times put out a story. Hair on fire. Oh, my gosh. Everybody, have you seen? Have you heard? That Donald Trump's text from December 19th, 2020, saying protests come down will be wild. Have you noticed that the Department of Justice has linked that text message in five different prosecuting cases, cases that is prosecuting to the violence, to starting as a catalyst for the violence of the attack on the Capitol and that that pattern has now emerged and The New York Times is all over it. And I could, maybe I'm wrong, but I think you and I talked about this about three weeks ago when Enrique Tarrio was arrested. Yeah, not only that, when Enrique Tarrio was um, uh, when the government was trying to detain him pending trial, they filed a motion in support of detention. And that was one of the nuggets that they dropped in there. And as I recall, you were kind of the first one to jump on it, tweeted about it. I followed on and we've had discussions about it. We've done videos about it. So, yeah, I'm not sure why it took so long for mass media to pick on pick up on the things that you caught and that we've been talking about for quite some time. But it was kind of right there in some court filings. Yeah. And and it did point out some things that that I had failed to notice that it was also mentioned. The time frame was also mentioned in the, the Guy Reffitt case, the Stuart Rhodes case, the Kelly Meggs case, you know, so, the Biggs case, several other cases. And that, along with the Enrique Enrique Tario thing, that totality of that trying to tie that together. Plus, you know, we've heard about people the FBI trying to get people to sign affidavits saying you're here because Trump sent you. I think that that shows a little bit of a hint, a little bit of a peek into where the Department of Justice is going. You and I have talked about it on numerous occasions. But now with this ruling from Judge Carter in California, which not only says that crimes were committed and does it at a higher threshold for having to prove it than it does for indicting, but it also, like I said, it gives them a little bit of political cover because, remember, we've talked about what if the Department of Justice is waiting for an IG referral or a or a bipartisan committee referral so that Garland can say, hey, it was referred to me, man. I had to look into it. It's not political. A judge saying this is also apolitical. And Zoe Lofgren told MSNBC today, hey, you know what? We haven't made a criminal referral for 371 or 1512 C2, but I promise you the attorney general has read that ruling. You know, two of the three co-equal branches of government have gone on record as saying Donald Trump committed felony offenses in his zeal to unconstitutionally retain power. And usually it's the executive branch, the Department of Justice, that leads the way in announcing that, hey, somebody's committed crime and we're going to indict them and prosecute them. Here, the other two co-equal branches of government have reached that very conclusion based on pretty significant evidence, right? The J6 committee has, I think, more than 700 witnesses now that have been cooperating with only a handful of people who are proud members of the cover-up club, right? The people who are blowing off the subpoenas. And, you know, let's face it, Donald Trump is not just a member of the cover-up club. He's the president. So, and the judiciary now pursuant to some litigation, has made a finding that Donald Trump committed crimes by a preponderance of the evidence. So, you know, it, it is time for DOJ to play catch up 
and to conclude what the other two co-equal branches of government have already concluded. Yeah. And I think it's fortunate that, you know, when Congress did it, they were like, it's enough of a threshold to say crime fraud exception on emails. When the judge did it, it's enough of a threshold to to say that crime fraud was committed. It's preponderance. And now we need to get to Department of Justice, who doesn't need to be fair. They like you said, they don't they just need probable cause to indict somebody. But they usually don't go in there unless they've got it beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. Well, you know what? We never know whether we have it beyond a reasonable doubt until 12 people in a jury box tell us we have it. Our standard to bring a charge is that we have to believe we have a reasonable likelihood of success on the merits based on whatever admissible evidence we have amassed. That is a far thing from saying you need to be absolutely convinced that a jury will convict, will find your proof you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. And that breeds a little bit of timidity, a little bit too much circumspection, maybe some hand wringing and legal navel gazing. But, you know, they've got it. They've got it. The other two branches of government have said we've got it. Now it's it's time for the Department of Justice to move out. Yeah. And they have it with just what's publicly available for information, which, as we know, uh, is is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, thank you very much. I just have one more quick question before I let you go. This seven hour gap in the call logs. This seems to me to be strong evidence, and and I shouldn't say strong evidence, strong circumstantial evidence that there is a cover up afoot. Yeah, it was I think what seven or eight hours worth of of a gap, and it, during the most critical time when Trump's foot soldiers were attacking the Capitol, trying to stop the certification, which is precisely what Donald Trump told them to do. All of a sudden, we're radio silent, and Donald Trump. I heard today said, I don't even know what a burner phone is. Come <laughs> on now. Yes, this will only compound Trump and company's problems because, you know, the crimes are bad enough. Now we have this massive cover up in plain sight and it's just more reason for DOJ to move out. Did you see uh, Midas Touch went through Mary Trump's uh, lawsuit, the one where Donald Trump sued Mary Trump in The New York Times and Donald Trump's lawyers used the term burner phones three times in that lawsuit? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Donald Uh, Trump is his own worst enemy. God love the guys at Midas Touch. Thank you so much today, Glenn. Everybody check out Justice Matters. Follow Glenn Kirshner on all social media, wherever you can. I appreciate your time today. Thanks, AG. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG for the Beans. Today's show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. If we don't get enough sleep, we can't function properly. I know this. You know this. We are healthier and happier when we get the sleep that we need. And it used to be difficult for me to sleep. I'd toss and turn all night, have night sweats, nightmares, stuff like that. And at first I thought it was stress and anxiety, but it turns out that also I was sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. And since switching to Helix, I'm sleeping better than ever. Regardless of your sleep style or body type, Helix has the right mattress for you. Just take their quick online sleep quiz to help determine your ideal mattress at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. They have a variety of mattresses, including soft, medium, and firm, body temperature regulating mattresses, ones that align your spine, and they even have the Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. As a side sleeper who likes a medium-firm bed, the Helix Midnight was perfect for me, and that's that's what they matched me with. And because of Helix, I fall asleep fast, I stay asleep all night, and I wake up feeling refreshed and happy, and I'm not sore. As you know, Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews, and was awarded number one best overall mattress pick in 2019 and again in 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix to improve sleep. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They even have financing options available. 
Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helixsleep, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll blow it on good news. It's on the way. And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections or whoopee stories or Halloween photos or Easter bunny photos, which are great, or, you know, Santa cons, pub crawls, whatever you, whatever you got going on, your happy place. If you want to play What the Mutt, where I, I try to guess what, badly what breeds your dog is, you can send everything to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. First up from Laura, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans family. My good news is that my niece, who was born with a rare condition that left her with no immune system, has been cleared to attend school in September. She was born without a thymus gland, which is where T cells mature. In April 2019, she received a thymus transplant, at the time experimental and now FDA approved, which allows her body to grow T cells that she needs to have a working immune system. It's been a long road to get her going to school, but 2022 is the year it will happen and my whole family is excited. I'm including a photo of my niece meeting my dog Dutch for the first time and the family Halloween costumes from this past Halloween. Yes, Laura, thank you for sending me Halloween photos. My niece loves him so much that when he gets in trouble, she yells at us to stop yelling at Dutch. Thank you for all you do. Oh my God, look at this baby. Oh, oh, you know what? I know who you are. You're Sleeping Beauty and Flora and Fauna and Meriwether. Mm, that is so fantastic. This is beautiful. And tell her that that dress is amazing and I hope it comes in my size. And she makes a beautiful Aurora. By the way, in case you hadn't guessed, Sleeping Beauty, one of my favorite movies. I, I was really into Maleficent. It's probably because I was listening to The Cure a lot. Uh, next up from Sally, pronoun she and her. Dear Beans Queens, I'm not sure if this note should come under Halloween or shit kids say, but I very much hope these pics of my sweet boy give you a smile. He's one of a kind and every day is something new. My hubby and I are theater artists and he spent many hours with me in the makeup room in the costume shop while I work or teach. I am a costume designer. Very cool, Sally. When the pandemic began and we were in lockdown and feeling hopeless, he spent his days playing dress up and that included full makeup, or as much as we could do, because all my really good materials were at work in lockdown as well. So we made do with what we had at home. Here he is as Wolf, Dracula, and RuPaul. <laughs> this was over a two-hour stretch, and by the end of it, his skin was a little raw. I hope with all my heart I can continue to nurture his creative soul and that he'll always feel comfortable in his own skin. I'll admit to being scared that society might work against him, but I see my greatest role in this life to help him stand strong in himself, his power, and creativity. Thanks for all you do. And constantly bringing hope to my day. Oh, Sally, I'm with you. It's theater kids, we got picked on quite a bit, but um, it's well worth. It was well worth the experience. Oh, look at this! Oh, the Dracula is very good. The fake blood is wonderful. The werewolf is that's impressive. Oh, RuPaul, very nice. Oh, this is so wonderful. Thank you for sharing this, Sally. Oh, good looking kid. I appreciate you. Uh, next up from Mary, pronouns she and her. My good news for today is that I saw Patton Oswalt on Friday, March 25th at the Academy of Music in Northampton, Massachusetts. He was great. I had fun. I laughed a lot. I rarely go out on Friday nights anymore. So going out in public to see Patton Oswalt perform was fantastic. Mary, I hope he did his clown pubes joke for you. And I also hope he did his uh, vaccination uh, material. He's so funny. 
He's just brilliant. Uh, and I'm glad you got to see him. Next up from Meredith, pronoun she and her. Hi, ladies. I'm writing with my good news. I just accepted a great new job that is my first stable employment since getting laid off due to COVID. Hoo-hoo. I will have the chance to help many children and adults with brain injuries and developmental delays achieve greater independence at work or school and living independently. And I will double my income. First, let me say COVID has revealed many societal issues that weren't as apparent before the pandemic. Yes, Meredith, very true. A big one is the massive differences in the three classes of labor, direct employees, contract employees, and independent contractors. People are pretty aware of independent contractors, but not so much about contract employees. I am an occupational therapist who was working as a contractor in the city public school system for six years before COVID hit. Instantly, my contract was terminated and I was alone and jobless in the worst job market since the Great Depression. With no one having elective surgeries, the job market for occupational therapists severely contracted for the first time ever. And I didn't think about how that probably that had a ripple effect. Even nursing homes were laying off therapists. Most people thought employment for healthcare workers was stable during COVID. That's not true for us. I immediately got the only work available at my local grocery store. I've been a frontline from the start. Six months later, I finally got a contract to provide home health services in rural Missouri. So I packed up my fur babies and lived out of a hotel for four months. Kitties don't like hotel living. This was pre-vaccine. I treated a variety of patients, including patients with active COVID, in part of the country that didn't believe that COVID was real. Side note, going to the homes of people who had been isolating and most often living on a steady diet of Fox News during the pandemic, the election and the insurrection was no picnic for this liberal city girl. I learned to say things like, it's a lot to deal with, isn't it? And a lot of people think that, followed by, now let's work on you being able to dress, bathe, go to the bathroom. It was scary. I had a 12-step procedure to put on PPE before going into a home and a much longer process when exiting a home. My trunk was divided into a clean field and a dirty field, not exactly hospital-level protection. I discovered your podcast while on the road, alone, deep in MAGA country, and it felt like talking to friends every day. I can't tell you how much that meant to me. After four months on the road, my kitties and I were able to come back home, and I took a contract in a rural nursing home about an hour from my house. COVID was rampant, and when offered the vaccine in January, only 15% of the staff, the staff, got vaccinated. Since I got vaccinated, I've taken other contracts, but I've never felt secure as a contract employee again. It took three months, but I finally got the new job, and I start in April. We have a wonderful restaurant in the city staffed by clients in our supported employment program, a food truck that is entirely sweets and coffee and so much more. I'll be part of designing a service animal program, a dream of mine since becoming an OT. The last two years have been the hardest of my life and there were very dark times, but I made it in part due to listening to you discuss the day's events with me and great things are now happening in my life. For Pet Tax, here are my fearless road warriors and loving companions through all the ups and downs, Oscar and Sophie, with heartfelt gratitude for your podcast. Oh my God. Meredith, thank you so much. Oh, look at these babies. They're so beautiful. <laughs> so is that a Maine Coon? I'm looking for the fur on the inside of the toe beans. Oh, thank you so much for the kind words. I'm so glad... I could be there for you. And thank you for being there for so many people, Meredith. And thanks to all of you for sending in your good news stories. Please continue to do so. These really mean everything to us uh, here at the Daily Beans. And you can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And I will be back tomorrow in your ears with some fresh content. Uh, Wish me luck in court. And until then, 
please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>